Well, if you had any doubt that it's morning, the sun is coming up just over there, actually. I had to move the camera, otherwise I was going to be blinded by it. Ah, I'm not a morning person. I'm really not. Uh, I'm very much a night owl. I'm very much a nighttime person. I don't have the discipline to go to sleep very well. Apparently, my, our cat's a morning person as well. Uh, but I love morning time. I love the time just before sunrise of quiet, where it's that weird thing between light and dark, seeing the light pop over the horizon, seeing the colors of the morning. It's an amazing time, and I always can't help but think of, yes, the cliche, but the promises of a new day. Even the ones that scripture talk about. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. This morning, I also can't help but connect this first little few moments of light, of morning, with Mark chapter 4 and the parable of the sower. And I invite you open to read with me uh, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teachings he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, since it had no root. It withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, or the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and produced grain growing up and increasing, yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ear, hear. He who has ears, <laughs> let him hear. Or he who has ear, hears, let him hear. Either way. <laughs> and when he was alone, those about him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. For those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now let's stop right there for a moment. Because as I've mentioned already in this series, oftentimes that gets misinterpreted to meaning that parables are supposed to be secrets. They're supposed to be hidden in code, uh, the messages. They're supposed to be... Uh, mysterious and said in such a way where only only certain people can understand it. And that's not what Jesus means here. In order to understand what he means, we have to go back to where this quote came from, which is actually in Isaiah chapter 6. And I do invite you to turn there. I should have turned, uh, marked it, but apparently I wanted to give you time to, to get there yourself. And uh, apparently I can't find Isaiah. They moved it on me. There it is. Isaiah chapter Six. Now in Isaiah chapter 5, we talked about that last week uh, with the parable in Isaiah about the vineyard and about how God has given this vineyard the best chance, the best opportunity, and yet it produces bad fruit. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah finds himself in the throne room of God in a vision and he's immediately scared because if you're that close to the presence of God, huh, you're going to die. And he doesn't die, as a matter of fact, he's, and he, but he's afraid he's going to get burned. And he does get burned, uh, in a sense, uh, because the seraphim take a burning coal, touch it to his lips, and he is purified in order to be a prophet of God. 
And in verse 8, he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me, a very famous passage. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind... <sighs> yeah. And their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Now, at first reading, that sounds like, what? You want me to go preach so that way no one's saved? You want me to go preach to people so that way no one hears or no one sees? What's the point of going and preaching then? And that's exactly the point. The point that Isaiah was is is making here in Isaiah chapter 6 is that his task was to preach to an extremely unrepentant people, much like Jeremiah. What happens whenever you tell something, <laughs> and I don't mean for this to be a comment on the current day's things, but it could be, what happens when you tell people about something which they think they already know? Oftentimes, you're saying it will make them go either more uh, their way, which may or may not be wrong or right, or it may send them somewhere else. Or, I guess, to be fair, or they will be curious about what you say. But, predominantly, if someone thinks they know something, and you come and say, well, actually, here, this, generally, it makes people more firm in their conviction. And there's actually studies on why this is so. This is, there's actually studies out there on why people will sometimes believe what they believe even more so, even when presented with facts. There's a lot of reasons. I'm not going to go into that. I'm very tempted to. I'm not going to go into that. Isaiah is dealing with that. He was dealing with preaching to people who thought they knew, or at least didn't care, about their place in the kingdom of God, about their idol worship, about how they conducted things. And the people who he was preaching to were the ones who were in charge, who didn't feel like being questioned, who didn't feel like saying, oh, you're right, let me, you know, let me stop this. Jesus sees himself, and very appropriately, as the role of an Old Testament prophet, speaking to a people who are inherently unrepentant, who are looking for something of which he is, but they're not going to find him because they're looking for something else. They think they know what the Messiah, who the Messiah is, and who is going to be, and what the signs are going to be, and, and what the Messiah will do. They think they know, and so when Jesus comes and presents himself as, as the Messiah, the true Messiah, <laughs> They miss it. It's in this light that Jesus is using parables. What are parables? Well, we talked about this two weeks ago, how they're not explainer stories. They're not just moral codes or, or nice little stories with, with heavenly meanings and, and such. They are a form, a very particular form of communication, and they are indirect communication. Why is indirect communication so important when it comes to parables as opposed to direct communication? You'd think it would sometimes be easier just to say, here it is. And sometimes that's the case. But the way the kingdom works, the way that Jesus works, and the way that the seed works actually is more effective through indirect means, or at least in this case. Now, I say this as a preacher. I'm not trying to say this. I'm going to just, I'm going to make you, you know, I'm going to speak in parables in this sermon. 
make you figure it out. No, no, no. <laughs> Go back to Isaiah 6 for a minute. Isaiah in verse 11 says, How long, O Lord, and he said, Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant, and the houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken place are in the many are many in the midst of land. Even though there will be a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is a stump. Ouch. <laughs> Isaiah's task, as I mentioned last week, was to preach to a people who weren't really interested in hearing proclamation and Isaiah is basically prophesying that it will be cut down and there will be a stump left but there will be something that grows out of this stump the holy seed and Jesus is taking this to the New Testament to his time and he's saying sower went out to sow some seed much 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 is made about who is the sower. Much is made about the seed. Much is made about the details and the uh, the the way that this process goes. But that's not the point of the parable. Especially in light of the fact that he quotes Isaiah and says, These are so many may see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Doesn't Jesus want people forgiven? Absolutely he wants people forgiven. So what's the point? And he said to them, how do you understand this parable? Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And he explains it. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness and riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown on good soil, those that were sown on the good soil, are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Like I said, much is made of this explanation as well about the passivity of the soil and how they were seen and 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 the, the different kinds of soil and how satan works and how the thorns work and how that's not the point of the parable either the emphasis of the parable is on the soil not the word not the sower not what happens to the soil, but the emphasis is on the soil. And that hopefully is somewhat obvious, but yet it's easy to miss. Jesus is saying something which they're familiar with, the seed being sown. People were very familiar with that. They would have known that we're familiar with that even if we'd never really done it. We get the concept of throwing a seed and of planting and, and sprouting. The point of this parable is the receptivity of the soils and what the soils do. And so the better questions that we ask here, perhaps, are why are the soils the way they are? The better question to ask isn't, you know, how to avoid Satan per se, but why is this soil in a place in such a way 
that Satan is able to come and grasp it, that the birds are able to come and grasp it. Why is this soil in a place where there's thorns? Why is this soil so shallow? And why is maybe this soil so good? You see, as I've talked about before, parables are designed to ask questions of us. And parables are designed so that we may ask questions in the pursuit of truth. The parable is not the end of itself, but the parables lead us into the deeper meaning of itself, of the word, of the kingdom, of the message. The emphasis is on the receptivity of the soul because obviously God's word will be proclaimed, but the emphasis is on the receptivity of those who are hearing it in the midst of judgment. Now, we may say, well, they haven't been judged yet. Well, they kind of are, especially in the sense of quoting Isaiah. Israel's already on a path here of either accepting or not the Messiah. God's word is being proclaimed through his instruments, and they will be set in judgment. Now, it's a matter of what you will do with the message that you hear in the midst of that judgment. What questions should this parable maybe ask of you, of us? Obviously, the question is what type of... Sorry. <laughs> Obviously, the question to ask is what type of soil are you, but we can go a little bit deeper than that. Why are you that soil? When have you been the other soils? In what cases, maybe... Are you still the other soils in certain aspects of your life? Are you certain soils in certain disciplines? Are you certain soil when it comes to certain skills or certain responsibilities that you have for God? There may be places to where you have good soil to where you hear it and you're able to do good things with it, but there may be other places where stuff falls and you get choked or even the word gets taken away. What kind of soil are you? Were you? What kind of soils are you sometimes? And what kind of soils do you continue to be? You see, to someone hearing this, sorry, <laughs> to someone hearing this, who thinks that they know what good soil is. They're like, well, I, I know that. Don't tell me about souls. To someone who thinks they know, or to someone even who is in the harsh ground, they have no time for this. You see, what Jesus' hope here is that by asking it in this way, by proclaiming things in such this way, where it makes you think and makes you wonder, makes you ask questions, that it will elicit a response that bears fruit, not just knowledge. I think this is actually one of the main reasons that Jesus actually does use parables. Because the more you think about it, the more questions you ask of it, the more you go, huh, if this is true, then what must I do? If this is true, how do I remain here? If this is true, what then? But also, 
what is happening when you understand and when you're listening to that response. You see, the key also to this parable is not just that you hear, but that you bear fruit in that hearing, that your actions produce fruit. Obviously, the emphasis on 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold cannot go without being mentioned. The proper response to this is not just one who gets on good soil, but the one who actually bears fruit. So the question obviously becomes, what sort of fruit are you bearing? That's the classic one, but maybe the better one is, are you bearing only 30 or 60 or 100? Could you bear more? Is there soil need? Mark, what's the right word for, for uh, making better soil? Tilling? Pruning? I'm not a soil scientist or even a farmer for that matter, so even I have trouble with this understanding how, how it applies. The point of the parable is that Jesus is speaking to those who will be judged. He's speaking to those who may think they know. And he's hoping and praying and speaking in such a way that those who are truly seeking the kingdom of God would come to him and say, hmm, I don't want to be this. I want to be the good soul and I want to bear fruit. How do I do that? The proper response isn't, yes, this is true. It's how and why does this produce fruit over this? How do I become a better soil? How it moves us, it should move us to a response. But it doesn't just happen with knowledge. It doesn't just happen with, oh, this is true, therefore I do this. They're like a new day. At the beginning of the day, the day is unwritten and it's full of possibility. But yet what we do with this day is up to us. Many people say, how was your day? And we say, oh, it was a good day or a bad day. It was a tired day. It was a this day. It was a this day. Who controls that? Well, you can say, well, there's not everything that I can control. True, but still who controls whether who can make it a good day or not? Jesus is making the kingdom a reality. And the kingdom, this parable teaches us three things if you want to write notes. I'll end with three kingdom things. The kingdom is a kingdom of, the, of word. Not just of the word, but of word. It involves a proclamation, it involves preaching, it involves prophesying, it involves testifying and declaring who God is and what he has done in the world and what he's doing in the world and what he will do in the world. The kingdom is a kingdom of word. Secondly, the kingdom can present a challenge for those who think they have it all figured out. The kingdom can present a challenge of perception and the kingdom can represent a change in orientation in life and a challenge of that even too. You see, what if you read this parable or read this or hear this parable and you go, hmm, am I really on rocky ground? Because it seems like I just never get anywhere. Is it the word's fault? No. I'm not bearing fruit. Is that the word's fault? No. Is that God's fault? No. How do I get to better soil and how do I get to more, better, more better? <laughs> how do I, how, <laughs> sorry. 
how can I sprout better fruit for the kingdom? How can I sprout any fruit for the kingdom? You see, these are the questions. It's not simply that, oh, this is true, but it's asking you what soil you're on and what fruit you're producing. And third, the kingdom is at work right now. And part of its establishment is through people responding in obedience and inhabiting the word manifesting the word that is proclaimed. You see, people can always see the good fruit. People rarely ever see the birds full of seeds or the seeds that are blown away or scorched. Morning bug. <laughs> but they see the good fruit and that is indeed how the word is proclaimed. The word is manifested. That's how the kingdom works. What part are you playing in? What part are we playing in it? What is our soil? How do we make it better soil? And how do we avoid being the people that Jesus and Isaiah spoke of? That hear it, but don't really hear. That see it, but don't really see. That believe, but not enough to act. That do, but don't in the most fruitful ways.